Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We exist to be a community that seeks God and serves people. We're so glad that you've joined us today. And now, let's get back to the podcast. Amen. What a text that we have to work with today. Good morning, everyone. We are really, really beginning our series on the Gospel of John that's going to carry us all the way through 2021. And I hope that if you didn't get the memo last week, hopefully I can communicate that well this week. One of the practices that I hope we can adopt is handwriting the passage that we're going to study the next week. And the reason I'm just a huge fan of handwriting is because for some reason, like the connection between like pen and or pencil and paper, it just helps memory work so much better. And it helps you connect in ways that maybe you hadn't before. The idea of writing out the words that you're reading, it just really helps you take deeply what you're reading and do something with it. Maybe see something you never saw before. So I just want to encourage you, if you didn't get to catch up last week or if this is uh, the first week you've been in this series, we're just going to handwrite each passage. And if you have great handwriting, not like me, but maybe like other people in our congregation, uh, we might even consider uh, posting those whenever we get back in person and having those uh, for everybody to see just so we can have scripture surrounding us. So with that being said, I want to dive into our passage today. And as usual on our Zoom meetings, I'm going to have a lot of screen sharing going on. And we're just going to look at some slides and consider the word of God together. So without further ado, let's talk about John 1, 1 through 4. So the primary title that we see in this passage actually doesn't even mention the name Jesus. What it does mention is the word or the word of God. And oftentimes we have this impression that the word of God is just simply the Bible. But in John's writings, we get a different impression. We're not asking the question, what is the word of God? But we're actually asking who is the word of God? It's a question of identity, not a question of what. It's more a question of who. And John will provide us the answer in a couple weeks. But throughout John's writings, including his letters, Jesus is to be identified as the word. And in Greek, that word is logos. Beautiful word and one that carries a lot of power in Jewish writings, one that would speak something very directly to listeners and readers in the first century. So throughout John's writings, Jesus is to be identified as the word. In John 1, though, I really want to explain this passage well, because this is like a characteristic of John's writings. And we talked about this last week. If you weren't able to be here last week, you, could, you can always catch up on the podcast because I kind of give some assumptions that I take when I read this gospel. Um, but one of those things is that John is insistent that Jesus is to somehow be identified as divine. But to earn that, to earn that basically, we need to discover how John goes about this. It's not enough just to say that Jesus is God. Uh, and like I said last week, 
that can lead to some messy discussions. That can lead to some messy theology, in all honesty. But we have to see, we have to speak in John's terms. We can't just come in with our 21st century American views of who God is. We have to let John speak for himself and tell the story that he wants to tell. And one of those ways he's going to do it is he's going to echo the Old Testament. He's going to echo the Old Testament in his writings. So John 1 has the same first three words that Genesis 1 has. In the beginning. In the beginning. Any Jewish reader of John's gospel would read those three words and immediately think, that sounds a lot like the beginning of our scriptures. That sounds just like Genesis 1. So immediately you're just going to get this sense that John is trying to set up his narrative in a way that reflects what's happening in the act of creation. So immediately we get this impression that John is focused on showing us that something about the Old Testament is highly involved in what he's writing. God is the main character of Genesis 1, right? God does the creating. He makes the heavens and the earth. He makes the light and the darkness. He makes all the creatures in the world. But John 1 doesn't give all those details. But the idea is that the word, or as we'll learn later, Jesus is taking on the same role in John chapter 1. So if God's the main character and the main actor in Genesis chapter 1, then Jesus is to be identified in the same role in John chapter 1. This is how John sees it playing out. But here's the thing. A lot of people, and you might even have heard that John 1 is a reflection of Genesis 1, but it's not even the most prevalent echo of the Old Testament in this passage. There's actually more going on here than, oh, I'm supposed to read this as a creation story and put Jesus into it. That's part of it. But there's also another Old Testament passage that remains very close to this text. Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8 is this beautiful, beautiful chapter. And if you get a chance later today, so you don't forget, read Proverbs chapter 8. It's completely stunning because what's happening here is the writer is talking about wisdom. And wisdom is given characteristics of a human being, treated like a person. And we call that personification. Proverbs 8 is making wisdom out to be like a person. And in John chapter 1, there's an, actually an echo of this passage. So later on in Proverbs 8, what's going on is we're listening to the act of creation. And I'm going to back out of my screen here in just a moment. But let me read this little brief bit to you, and I'm going to read some more. When he, God, established the heavens, I wisdom was there. I'm going to stop my sharing for just a second. I'm going to read a little bit more of it to you. But Proverbs 8 is completely stunning because in this passage, wisdom is given this front row seat to the act of creation. And some people have gone on to say that we should understand wisdom to be the word or Jesus. Maybe we can make that assumption, maybe not. But I want you to just 
listen to more of this with me. So I'm gonna, I read verse 27, and then he continues, when God marked out the horizon over the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he secured the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea his decree that the waters should not pass over his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I, wisdom, was beside God as a master craftsman. Let me read that one more time. Then I, wisdom, was beside God as a master craftsman. And I was his delight day by day, rejoicing before him at all times. That's stunning because Jesus in John chapter one says the word was with God and the word was God. I mean, it's just stunning because Proverbs eight is doing a very similar thing. And if you read the Proverbs, it's this incredibly poetic book that focuses on like proverbial sayings with wisdom type literature. And Jesus in John chapter one is being associated as with God and being God. And in Proverbs chapter eight, wisdom is with God in the act of creation. Utterly stunning in my opinion. But you see that John is not just satisfied to give us just some random opinion of theology. He wants us to see that what he's writing is deeply interconnected to the Old Testament, which is one of the reasons that as Christians that we take the whole breadth of Scripture seriously, even when we don't understand all of it. You know, there are so many things in the Old Testament even as somebody who's been to seminary, like, I just don't understand, you know, why in the world do you have to have like these ceremonial cleansings for dishes that a mouse might have died in, in your cabinet? Like, I don't understand that. And beyond that, there are several, several other things that I do not understand. But John is insistent that you need to not just see that Jesus is a God, that he's a very particular God. He is the God that we see in the Old Testament. He's the creator God. And he's very insistent that we should pay attention. Let me get this back up again. Proverbs 8 gives us this, and Genesis 1 for that matter, is really communicating that Jesus is somehow mysteriously tied into the identity of the one God that we read about throughout the whole Old Testament, and into the New Testament. Jesus is mysteriously tied into that identity. In fact, it's, I would even say he is the full revelation of the God we see in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's just some mystery behind God. You know, like you can't look at God and live, you know, just Moses can only see part of God and his face is shining. But in the New Testament, we see the full revelation of God in the person the human being, Jesus of Nazareth. So in the beginning echoes Genesis 1, and the word was with God, echoes Proverbs 8, where wisdom is with God in the beginning. But the ultimate question we have here, like you didn't just come here for a lesson in how the New Testament understands the Old Testament. You didn't just come here for a lesson. Hopefully you came here like I did to grow in our worship for God and to grow as a human being. 
why does it matter that Jesus is to be understood as the creator God? And to answer that question, there's so many things I want to unpack. But I want to just communicate one thing beyond anything else, and it's this. Jesus being God is not just a theory, at least according to John. It's not just a theory, but it's flesh and blood. It's real. It's real life. And John doesn't want us to just leave with my theology or my theories about God are better than your theories about God. It would be a category mistake to say that's the goal of this text or that's the goal of being a Christian even to say that my beliefs are superior to your beliefs. That's not what John wants us to do with this. John wants us to do something else. He wants us to worship because, and this is the reason it matters, because we become like who or what we worship. And if you don't believe me, if you don't believe me, just look at any, anybody who strives for something deeply that's not God. And just, just a few examples. You become like who or what you worship because if you care deeply about money, you can probably attain money. But if you can't attain money, you're going to be consumed by money if you worship it. Even if you don't have any, you will be consumed by worries about money all the time. It also matters because if you worship fame, you can get fame, but it'll never be enough. You can get thousands of followers on Twitter. And you're not going to know what life is all about. You might get the most, you might get the blue check on Twitter. You might be a certified Twitter user, but you're not going to become like the real human being. Because part of the point of the text of John 1 is not just to say that Jesus in theory is God, it's to say that Jesus in real-time history is the flesh and blood God. He is the one God. And that matters so deeply because Jesus is the, the image of God. He's not just a reflection of God. John wants to communicate that in Genesis 1, God creates the first human beings. And the first human beings are God's image in the world. And you and I are God's image in the world. But John, the reason he reflects on Jesus is because he's not just a pale reflection of God. He is the full picture of God. Jesus is the full picture of God. So it's not just, I want to know what God is like, so I'm going to look at Jesus. But I want to know what it means to be human, so I'm going to look at Jesus. John wants us to catch that. He doesn't want us to miss it because if we do, what we, what we end up doing is we worship idols. And I'm so sorry if you missed Laura's class earlier. We had a really good discussion about idolatry and what happens when we worship something that deceives us, that lies to us. And Jesus is the one human being that shows us what life is really all about. That's why it matters deeply that we worship him. So one of the things you could leave with is it's awfully contentious, especially these days in such a divisive culture 
it's so contentious to say that Jesus is the God. Like, I get that. It sounds extremely contentious. It might even sound arrogant. And if you know anything about me, like, I'm super cautious about doing stuff like that. I don't want to appear that way. So please hear me when I say this. When I communicate that Jesus is God, I don't want to, as a Christian, communicate that everybody else is a complete, is on the complete, you know, opposite end of things. People can come to understand this. But here's the thing. Jesus as God matters because we want to become like him. And in such a divisive culture, we want to become like Jesus. Last week, I talked a little bit about how my young self believed that God was like Zeus, ready to zap down sinners at any moment ready to zap down people that disagreed with him. I believe God was like that. And then I started reading the Bible and then I was like, okay, Jesus is God. So Jesus must be like Zeus. So I'm going to try and fit Jesus into that picture of God. That's all the more the reason why it matters that we have to get the order of those words right. We have to get the order of those words right because if we say God is in the person of Jesus, then we start to see Jesus informs our definition of God. Jesus informs our understanding of who God is. So if you worship the one God, you're not becoming the kind of person that puts down others. If you worship the one God, you're not becoming the kind of person that's greedy. If you're worshiping the one God, your witness to that God does not allow you to demean and strike down others. Because if you worship the one God, you look like the person of Jesus more and more each day. And yeah, there's grace for the times that we fail utterly at that. Trust me, like I'm, I understand that just as much as anybody else. But if we want to understand who this God is, if we want our theology to matter, like this theological statement that Jesus is divine, if it's going to matter, then it means that we worship him. And if we worship him, then we become like him. But let me just tell you, you can claim the name of Jesus and not worship him. I know it's a bold statement, but you can claim the name of Jesus. And there are plenty of people this past week and in several years past that have claimed the name of Jesus that have nothing to do with him. If you want to be like Jesus, you will start to look like him. You will start to see that the truth of the rest of the New Testament, for example, that Paul says Christ's power is made perfect in weakness, that will actually be your life. But if you need to flex your muscles instead and assert your power over others, you don't have Christ because that's not him. And I know this because he went to the cross. He released all power. The one who had all power released all of it. So if you worship God, you will look like Jesus. And that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect at it. But it also means that the trajectory of your life is going towards 
the spotless Lamb of God. That the path of your life is going more and more towards the person who embodied healing, the person who embodied meekness, gentleness, self-control, the person who was the living flesh and blood fruits of the Spirit. You will become like that because that's who you worship. You don't worship a God who says you need to dominate others, that you need to assert your power, that you need to get your power back. Because here's the ironic thing. Any power that we think we have is nothing compared to love. Any power we think we have is nothing compared to love. And one of the things we'll discover as we continue through John's gospel is that love is the key ingredient here. If you want to understand God, you have to pursue love. And Jesus is going to shape that for you. Jesus is going to shape that for you. So let me end just with a brief, brief statement here. Theology or what we believe about God is deeply important. I don't want you to hear otherwise. Good thinking leads to good practice. But good thinking without good practice is just theory. And Christians don't just live in a world of theories. They live in a flesh and blood, soil, dirt, and water type world. We don't just live in our minds. And for crying out loud, we don't just live in social media. We don't just live in a digital space. I know it's super ironic because I'm saying this as we're in a digital space. But look at this. You are still surrounded by a world that God made. There is more to life than the phone in your pocket. I don't want you to just think. I want you to do. Because that's exactly the kind of life we're called to. We're called to a life of interacting with others, assuming the best in others, and loving them because Jesus does that. So you become like who or what you worship. That's both a comfort and a warning. It's a comfort because when you know Jesus and you start to become like him, it's beautiful. It's world-changing. It's neighborhood changing. It's home changing. But when you don't, it's a warning because you might become like some celebrity or you might even become like a bully and you might even claim the name of Jesus. But when you're not worshiping him, you're not like him. And that's not being a Christian. It's just not. So we have to take our beliefs, take what's in our hearts, what's in our minds. And we have to say, Lord, I want to worship you, not just with my thoughts, not just with my words, but I want to worship you with my actions. So become, don't just look at this text and say, ah, Jesus is God. Check. I believe that. 
It's not enough. Worship him with your whole self. Mind, heart, body, soul. Worship him with everything. And I believe that when we do that, we will see a world changed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for everybody here today. I thank you for the beautiful worship that we gave you in song, in communion, in prayer, and in worshiping with the next generation, our kids. And Lord, we just ask that we wouldn't just believe things about you, but that we would take those beliefs and do something with them. You know, we affirm that, Jesus, you are tied into the identity of God. And because of that, we don't just stop there, but because of that, we know that we want to become like you. So God, save us from our preconceived notions of what you're like and remind us of who you really are that you are the God who gave everything and that we would be the kind of people who also give everything. Help us faithfully read your gospel. Help us faithfully proclaim it, not to put anybody else down, but to give good news. Let us be people of peace and good news, especially in these times. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.